Okay, y'all, open your Bibles, 2 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 14. We're on to Elisha. Last week we looked at his call to ministry, and now we're looking at his actual installment. Elijah's about ready to take off. So here we go. I had a conversation recently with a person that told me, listen, I want to, I want to connect with God. I, I want to experience God. I have, I have cried out to him to make himself known to me to make himself real to me. I've done this genuinely. I've done this desperately. I've done this sincerely multiple, multiple times. And nothing. Absolute nothing. So where is God? So, so how do we connect to God? How do you do that? Some of us think we connect to God through the church and its traditions, and I probably need to qualify the church, but I'm not going to, so I'm just going to let you be in tension. We, with great expectations, we say things like, man, we need to put into practice the 16th century church with all of its liturgy and its worship style, its music, its piety, uh, its architecture, its reverence, all of that. We say things like that. And then others of us say things like that. We need to follow the practices of the early church. We need to believe like the church fathers. And we need to have a spirituality like the mystics in medieval times. And then, of course, there's the, the reformational period, the high watermark part of the church. We need to do everything they did. That's why we do the 16th century stuff. And then today, we just follow church growth. Incredible, effective parachurch or church ministry mechanisms and ministry methods. We need to do this stuff. This is, this is how you connect with God. How do we connect with God? Some of us think we connect with God through special anointed individuals, and we think things like this with great expectations. If I can only touch them, if I can only hear them, if I can only download their messages, if I can only buy all their books, if I can only visit their blog, if I can only be like them, have a conversation with them. We in the pastor world, you know what we call that? We call it pastoral porn. It's that weird phenomenon where the local pastor can't compete with the sexy celebrity pastor. And when us pastors get together, because we're very insecure people, we talk about pastor porn, right? Even John Piper, though, said this at a pastor's conference. He said to all the folks that were there, he says, listen, even in my church, I'm no big deal. It's only outside of my church that people go, ah. He goes, in my church, they'd rather listen to my youth pastor preach. How do we connect with God? Special anointed individuals? Some of us think we connect with God by applying timeless truths and biblical principles to our, to our lives and to our ministry, to our relationships. And so with great expectations, we work hard. We, we try to discover the spiritual secret. We leverage that spiritual technique. We, we be more. We try to be more like David and Moses and Elijah and Paul, and Jonathan Edwards. We apply, we apply those 100 steps on how to have a good marriage and how to fix your children and how to have spiritual leadership and that discipleship program. We do all 100 how-tos, all 100 steps. 
How do we connect to God? And some of us think, I don't give a rip about anything you just said. Because <laughs> I don't really don't want to connect with God. I have no desire to connect with God. I'd rather connect with a girlfriend. I'd rather connect with sexual intimacy. I'd rather connect with a successful career. I'd rather connect with being liked. Shoot, I'd rather connect with a diet that works. You know, it's really interesting that the Bible has this interesting take on this desperate need that all of us have to connect to something, whether it's God or whether it's good things that are out there that God has given us. And we don't say God, or we just go after the good things. You know what the Bible's take on all that is? We must have a God. Isn't that interesting? It's just another way of looking at things that perhaps the drive, the drive, the drive to connect to something or someone is actually rooted in this void in our own life for God. Just something to think about if that's you. So how do we connect with God, or how do we connect with even the good things of God, the good things of the world? Our passage this morning asks this question in this way. It says, where, where is the God of Elijah? Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Today's reading is from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons and the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. And if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah 
went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, O Lord, we thank you for this passage. We ask that you would shine on the page. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and lift up our heads and lift up our hearts and lift us up. Meet with us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so everything about this passage is a quest. It's a quest to encounter God. It's a quest to experience God. It's a quest to know deep in your bones that God is near you. God is real. God is present. God is with you. God is for you. God loves you. God's mercy surrounds you. God's protection is a shield. It's a, it's a quest to connect deeply with God, right? Everything in this passage is moving to the answer of Elisha's question in verse 14. Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? This whole passage is moving to that end. That whole passage is like a quest to get to the answer of that question. It's moving on that quest to come to a conclusion of how do you connect with God? How does that happen? Do you connect with God through, through church practices? Do you connect with God through all those ways we just looked at? Now, this story about connecting with God is for those who don't go to church, too, just as much for those that grow up in the church. It's for those who avoid God and for those who seek God. It's for those that left God and those that are trying to find their way back to God. It's for those that can't find God and for those that, that find Him regularly. This is a quest to connect with God. And so our plan is very, very simple. We're going to take up that quest. We're going to join everybody else in this passage on this quest to connect with God, on this quest to find God. And so here's what's going to happen. It's going to get weird at times. So this quest, there's some weirdness to it. In this quest, there's also a mystery to it. And then finally, there's an end. We come to the end of the quest we have an answer of how you connect with God. So let's start with the weirdness, shall we? Okay, apparently everyone in the story, look at verse 1. Everyone in the story knows God is about to show up. Do you see this? They all know this. The narrator tells us, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, everyone knows God is about to show up and he's going to show up in a whirlwind. And no one in the story wants to miss it. Elijah certainly doesn't want to miss it because it's his exit. Elisha doesn't want to miss it because he has spent 18 years, y'all. Remember our last sermon was just last week? Well, that's been 18 years for Elisha. He gets called, but he enters into an apprenticeship, a partnership, a team relationship with Elijah where he learns and a friendship is deeply forged. And he knows that 
his call to take on the mantle of the major prophet in Israel is about ready to happen, so he doesn't want to miss this. And then you've got these two large groups, we'll call them schools, so to speak, of prophetic apprentices. We would say they're pastoral apprentices, they're pastoral interns. We might say they're seminarians, right? The tension, though, in the story is when God will show up and where God will show up. People want to know when. They want to know where. When will he connect with us? How will he connect with us? Where will he connect with us? They know he's going to. They just don't know when. They just don't know where. They just don't know how. This is why all the human actions, the interactions in this story, are so weird. Aren't they? Am I the only one that sees this? I mean... Three times, Elijah tells his, his best friend, his right-hand man, stop following me, dude. And three times, Elisha says, yeah, you and what army? It's just weird. And then you've got these seminarians, right? These, these, these prophet schools people. They come up just like seminarians do. They know everything, right? You do know. You do know that your servant, your master is about to be taken from you today. You do know God's going to show up today, right? And I love Elisha's response. Shut up. You guys are so annoying. You think you know everything. I know this, right? Very human response. The weirdness seems to send off this vibe in the text, doesn't it? It's so weird that there's a vibe in it. And you're just trying to figure out, why is this so weird? And we start realizing that the vibe is this vibe for control. Everyone in this passage is trying to control when God shows up, how God shows up, where he shows up. They know he is. They just don't know how, when, and where. This is our first hint on how to connect with God. We connect with God. We experience God. First answer, not by control. No one controls God. No one leverages God to act. No one leverages God to move. No one leverages God to love. No one leverages God to have mercy. No one leverages God to answer prayer. No one leverages God. We think we, think we go like this. Well, I tithe, so I need to have a full bank account. I pray God must answer. We, we think that we perform and God loves us. We think we work and God accepts us. We think we are sincere and genuine and are a good person and God will keep suffering from us. We think we do our part, God does his part. We think, everyone thinks, even the greatest prophets in the world at this time have this sense, this natural template to control their lives and to control God, to play God, right? No one earns and merits God's love. No one earns and merits God's nearness. But do you know that we try to? Did you know that we try to control God when we moralize, absolutize? I'm using these big words because I want to. Moralize, 
absolutize, divinize early church practices. In other words, we say, hey, this is the right way to do church. Here's how you connect to God. You connect to God through putting into practice the early church practices. And I just want to say, I'm all for that because what they did is they laid down their belongings and they gave all their money to their spiritual leader. <laughs> I'm a little short on cash, a little too many times at Common Grounds this week. I'm all for that. Let's just not be selective, shall we? We moralize, we absolutize, we divinize the beliefs of the church fathers, not realizing they believed a lot of good stuff and then they believed a lot of weird stuff. We divinize, we moralize, we absolutize the spirituality of the mystics today. Good night. Contemplative spirituality is everywhere. The mystical Here's how you encounter God. This is the way you connect with God. This is the right way to do it. And now i got to talk about our tradition, right? What do we do? Well, we need to go back to the 16th century church. We need to do their liturgy. We need to do their music. We need to do their worship style. We need to do whatever they did. It's the right way to do church. It's actually better and healthier to know the difference between personal preferences and divine practices. Most of what we say has to be done and how you connect with God and we absolutize is nothing but a personal preference in a culture. And then we do this with like, I mean, church growth stuff. Um, parachurch ministries are so effective. I've, I've been a part of them. I'm all for them. I think it's healthier, though. I think it's better to have a fixed theology and a flexible methodology, not a fixed methodology. I think that's healthier. In other words, we try to control God when we say things like this. The right way to do church is this. Here's how you connect with God. Here's how and when, this way, right? Did you know that we try to control God when we try to experience God with our hearts alone? In other words, we do cry out to God and we say, oh God, please make yourself real to me. Make yourself known to me. Help me experience you. And then, and then we wait. We wait to have this encounter with God with our hearts. We wait to have this experience of God with our feelings. We try to experience God with our hearts alone. And we're always disappointed. Because that's not how you connect with God. Did you know we try to connect with God with our Endless biblical, our addiction to biblical principles, our addiction to fix our lives, our addiction to make ourselves holy. This is all efforts of trying to control God. Trying to control how you connect with him. And how do we connect with God? The first answer from this text amidst all the weirdness is 
You don't. Not by control. Let's move into the mystery of the text, shall we? I love this. Verse 9, when they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, okay, ask what I shall do for you, brother, because they are brothers. Father, son kind of relationship too. Before I'm taken from you, and Elisha said, I, I have been waiting for this moment for 18 years. Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Verse 10, you just asked a hard thing. Elijah, what he's doing is he's asking for a firstborn son's inheritance, a firstborn son's wealth. In the ancient world, the firstborn son got a double portion of the inheritance, a double portion of the wealth. Why? I think it's because they break in the parents. But I don't know, because I'm a firstborn. I feel sorry for all firstborns. I feel sorry for my firstborn son and my firstborn daughter and all my kids. <laughs> Notice that in verse 12, uh, Elisha calls Elijah father two times. What's happening here, the double portion, though, is not Elijah's material wealth. What Elisha wants is his spiritual inheritance, his spiritual wealth, his spiritual power, his spiritual wizardry, his spiritual wonders, his spiritual vitality, his spiritual energy, his spiritual strength, his spiritual realness, his close encounters with God. He wants his experience with God. He wants that connection with God. Why? I mean, why does he, though? Why does he? Does he want to be popular, successful, pack him in? The answer is because he feels his need. He feels his weakness, he feels in his bones what is in the core of his bones is a, is a word and a reality called inability, helplessness, need, powerlessness. And he does this personally, certainly as a messy person, as a messy, broken, deeply flawed individual before God, he feels it but he also feels it as a powerless, impotent prophet. What we are seeing is absolutely amazing. We are seeing a wonder take place right on the pages right now before our eyes. We are experiencing something that Elijah is experiencing. One author puts it this way, no human heart will learn its sinfulness and impotence by being told it is sinful. It will have to be shown Elisha can be told by Elijah for 18 years, you're, you're weak, Elijah. You're unable to save yourself, Elijah. 
You are powerless as a prophet, Elijah. He can tell him, but he doesn't get it until it's shown him. And we are watching Elisha be shown that he's impotent, that he's powerless, that he's weak, and that he's in need. And so everything in him desperately cries out for spiritual inheritance and wealth and beauty and wonders and strength. <clears throat> Elisha is being shown, not simply told, his need right before our eyes, and it's breathtaking. Where are you being shown your need? I don't mean being told. You've been told your whole life. If you've grown up in the church, you've been told from a, from a nursery infant to the catechism in this church, you've been told you are deeply flawed. You are in need. You are messed up. You are powerless. But no one gets it until they're shown. I am in need. I am powerless. Where are you being shown? In your marriage? If you have kids, I'll tell you this, you are being shown if you have kids. Just open your eyes. Are you being shown in a broken relationship? Or are you being shown in your financial stress? Are you being shown in your emotional pain? Are you being shown in the failure of biblical principles and spiritual mysticism and timeless truths and worship preferences to connect you to God? Are you being shown in your lack of experience of God? You're not in control of that as much as you thought. Not as much as that person in the seminar told you you would be. Not as much as the person in the book says, if you do this, you will. Notice how Elijah responds to Elisha's request. It's absolutely breathtaking. You have asked a hard thing. Man, I put, put yourself in Elisha's spot. Elisha, this is not the answer Elisha was expecting. This is not what Elisha has been building for for 18 years. This is not, he has doggedly followed Elisha for 18 years. 18 years of not just being told his need and not just being told about grace, but 18 years of experience now being shown his need. And it's come to this climactic point where he's, he's actually doggedly followed him for 18 years. So much so Elijah's like, stay. And he's like, heck no. You can't make me. I want it. I need it. And we don't know what he wants and what he needs, but now we do. The whole text has been building that. They've traveled through three cities. Do you know what they're doing? Traveling three cities. They're leaving Israel. They're doing a reverse exodus. They're about ready to cross the Jordan and leave the promised land. They're going to the place that Moses died, that no one knows where he's buried. They're going in a reverse exodus. The way Israel came in, they are now leaving. And don't miss this. When Elijah left Israel, so did God in this story. Remember when the rain was being shut off? Where did he go? He went on the other side of the Jordan. And God went with him. And so Elijah's leaving. Is God leaving? And he is doggedly, he's following him. He's, he's going to go out. 
outside the promised land. And now we get to that moment. We get to the most breathtaking moment of all. It's about ready to happen. He knows it's about ready to happen. The prophet schools, the two schools, three schools are on the other side of the Jordan. They're watching and waiting. It's about to happen. And this is what Elijah says. You have asked a hard thing. Dang. What's going on here, y'all? You know what's going on? Elisha's not being told about grace. He's being shown it. What do you mean, Jeff? Because what Elijah is saying, he's saying to Elisha, I don't have the power to give that to you, bud. It's not up to me. Spiritual wealth, spiritual treasures, spiritual blessings, spiritual wonders are by God alone. He gives them, not me. And now we come to another way we can start answering our question. How do you connect with God? How do you experience God? Not by our control, but by the mystery of grace. Hmm. Now we've come to the end of our quest. We're at the end. It's been a fun journey, but like you, I want to know the answer too. So let's get to the answer. What is the end of the quest? Well, after Elijah shows Elisha the mystery of grace, right? He tells him, it's not mine to give. Look what happens in verse 11. It says, they still went on and talked. Can you imagine? I would love to be in on that conversation. So what are they talking about? They're probably talking more about their need and helplessness and the grace of God. They're probably talking about it because you're having a conversation. You talk about it, you're told it, and you're shown it. You're shown it, and you're told it. And in this dynamic of being told and shown, you start getting it. So they're talking, they're walking, and watch what happens. In the middle of their conversation, an army of chariots and horses. Oh, don't miss this. This is one chariot and one horse. Do you see the plural? Chariots. Horses. A fire. This is an army of fire that descends like a whoosh. Can you imagine? I wonder if you can see them on the other side. They just get separated. They get separated from each other. And it is a massive army of fire. And then he's gone. And Elisha says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and her horsemen. Do you know that that's said later? about Elisha when he dies? Except when Elisha dies, the king, when Elisha dies, the king goes, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen of Israel have left. Isn't that interesting? I wonder what that means. There were no chariots of fire and there were no horsemen when Elisha left. He just died like all of us are going to die. I wonder what that means. Do you know that Elijah's cloak, Elisha's cloak is mentioned two times at the end of this story, at the end of this quest. Do you see that? That means it's important. 
And it's mentioned that it's the cloak of Elijah. And notice what it says about this cloak. What does it say? It had fallen from him. Interesting. So here's what happens. Elisha picks up this cloak, and with the cloak in his hand, he strikes the Jordan, and he asks the question of the quest. Where? Where is the God of Elijah? And the answer is in the cloak that Elijah actually left a spiritual inheritance for him. Elijah actually left his spiritual strength and he left the, the chariots of God and the army of God of fire. He left the power of God. He left the life of God in his hand, in his cloak, because the cloak is the office of the prophet. The cloak is the word. It symbolizes the words of God. And he takes that cloak, he takes that word, and when he strikes it, what happens? An exodus happened. The waters parted. They piled up on the north and they ran to the Red Sea in the south. He takes his word and he strikes human hearts and exodus happens. Many deliverances happen. God parts hearts. God shows up. God connects deeply. The power, the strength, the vitality, the spiritual inheritance and wealth of God shows up in the word. The word. Do you know that this is the exact same place many, many years later, this exact same place in the Jordan River, a better Elisha shows up. The firstborn son of God himself. And his Elijah, John the Baptist, is commissioning him. And he gets baptized. And all the spiritual wealth and treasures and riches of heaven in the Holy Spirit descend upon him. But something fascinating doesn't happen. The Jordan doesn't part. Heaven does. Heaven splits in two. For you and me, How do you connect with God? How do you experience God? You can keep trying to experience in Him with special anointed individuals and keep being disappointed. You can try to experience Him with your heart, with your own thoughts and feelings and experiences in being. You can try and continue to be disappointed. You can try to connect with him. You can try to experience him with the church and its traditions. Or you can experience him with his word. In other words, put your confidence in the cloak. Cloak. 